On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Dynamite, and she has a new single out called I Don't Like You. She's from Boston, now in L.A. She's got a lot of great stories to tell, so let's welcome to the show Dynamite. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, I had to mention Boston, L.A. I always like to know where people are from, first of all, but that's a big move from Boston to L.A. Uh, Was that totally for, for your music career? Yeah, it was um, for my music, and also my brother does music as well, so he's moving out there too, and I knew he was going to be moving out there um, within the year or so, so we're both going to be out in L.A., which is really exciting. Our mom is sad, though. We're trying to convince her to get a condo out there, um, but she likes it a lot in Boston. Nice, nice. Well, we are going to talk a lot about I Don't Like You, but uh, since you mentioned your brother, you really do have an interesting start to your story. I don't know if all your your fans know this, but uh, when you were a lot younger, you and your brother were part of a musical duo. Yeah, um, we started when we were super young, like seven and eight years old, um, touring the country, basically, um, opening for, at first, Disney and Nickelodeon and American Idol um, types of people, and then it grew and grew, and then... Um, right before I went to college, which was like a few years ago, we toured as the opening act for Ariana Grande, which was crazy. And it was like big arenas and um, absolutely amazing. We also did Christina Perry and um, Rixton, which is a UK band. And um, yeah, just that sort of thing. And it just grew and grew. We started performing locally and writing our own music when we were eight and nine years old and um, just have always been so passionate about it. Our parents aren't musical, but it's just always something my brother and I were super obsessed with. And it started mainly with me on drums and singing and him on guitar and singing. And then all of a sudden we were learning all different instruments. And part of our show was like every song we switched to a different instrument. Um, So it was absolutely the best. I had so much fun. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to accomplish at a young age. And, you know, I'm wondering, since you had, you know, all the success opening for these major artists and, you know, then Ariana Grande, at that point, did you think, wow, I'm just going to go for it? But then you thought, well, maybe I need to do college, too. I mean, was that a really hard choice for you? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. So I'm super nerdy. Like, I just have always been very academic. And my parents also definitely wanted us to go to college. My brother, more begrudgingly, he went to Berkeley College of Music. So he went only because he could study music and was not interested in studying anything else. And then I applied to college and started at Brown, like literally the day I got home from our Las Vegas opening show, which was crazy. And we were at a point where we could have continued the tour on the like Asia leg of the tour, which, I mean, we really wanted to do, but our parents were like, I mean, then that's going to end in a few months and you're not going to be in college. So we started college, and I I liked it a lot. I think as far as being a songwriter and just a person, I grew a lot and had a lot of experiences I just hadn't because being, you know, a full-time student and as a child, like, doing 50 shows a year, you don't get that much time to just, like, make friends and have a social life. So it was really interesting, and I did a ton of songwriting. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely a tough decision. Um, but now my brother and I are both graduated, so that's why we made the move to L.A. Okay. Wow. I mean, even at such a young age, it's like you've already had a first career. It almost seems like, you know, most people starting out at your age, 
you know, would have no idea of what it takes to do what you've done. I mean, when you tell people this, wow. you know, what's their reaction? Wow, thank you. I mean, I think a lot of people are definitely surprised that I've been, like, I don't know, had a full-time job since I was eight years old, and it definitely helped shape me to be the artist I am today. I have a ton of performing experience and feel super comfortable on stage, and it was definitely a different time when we were younger. It was still very much the era of CDs and buying songs on iTunes and that sort of thing, so it's interesting to see how it keeps evolving, and mm -hmm. always the music industry is always changing, but um, the experience I've had since I was little really makes me feel equipped um, to do what I want to do now. Well, in reading your bio, and I, I'm sure you get this a lot because you have such a distinct singing style, you know, the very obvious comparisons to Amy Winehouse, you do have, you know, that raspy edginess, which is, you know, so distinct, but um, people saying, you, you know, you write songs like Lily Allen, which is really great to be compared to, you know, such great artists, but as you've evolved, I mean, what would you call your style? You know, you start off having idols and people you like, but how would you say you've evolved into, you know, uniquely dynamite? Yeah, I think um, it's funny you say that because I'm in my bedroom right now and on the wall are records of Lily Allen and Amy Winehouse, so I do absolutely love them. And I think why I gravitated toward them when I was really young is that Lily Allen, I was probably too young to be listening to her music. I was like 10, but um, <laughs> I just like, yeah, but I like just was, you know, amazed with how outspoken she was and how she didn't have a filter and she said what she thought and she said it so clever and um, it was just like witty and fun and brilliant all at the same time. And she had so much to say and her songs were never, you know, about nothing or about partying. They all had a meaning and I was just so fascinated by that. And then with Amy, I think the biggest thing, when I, you know, first got into her, obviously, like, and still to this day, never had, like, a thriving love life or anything. So all the love songs, like, that's not really why I connected. It was more in her voice. She really delivers the song so emotionally in her voice. And she could just be saying no words at all. And you feel exactly um, the feeling she's trying to convey. So I think those are the things about each artist that I, you know, took with me growing up and making music. And um, as far as songwriting, yes, I'm always inspired by Lily to, like, just say what's on my mind and not really filter or feel like things need to be pretty or dainty. And also, I think growing up, I, I just as a kid before hearing her music, was always frustrated with the messages of the songs on the radio and thought, like, wow, the whole world is listening to these songs. They could be saying anything and they're, you know, all about partying or doing whatever or just love songs, and um, I wanted something more out of that. So I definitely, as an artist, um, want to talk about things that are different to make um, social impact, and then as a singer, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess funny. I, like, look up to Amy a lot, and I'm surprised so many people hear the comparison. It's, like, a real honor, and that makes me so happy. I definitely think there are some obvious differences, but, um, yeah, it's just amazing, and I think how I do that is I mainly try to convey emotion first in the words after um, by kind of showing instead of telling what I want to say. Um, and also just having a low and raspy voice in general um, kind of puts you in that realm. And when I was younger, I was always doing Janis Joplin covers, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Also I'm a drummer. Well, which is I'll, I'll... So and, and I can detect some of the Janis Joplin, too. Very, very good person <laughs> to uh, look up to. 
Although you, you ought to get a little raspier, but don't do what she did. I think she got her rasp by, what did she do, drink a bottle of Southern Comfort on stage? So oh, don't goodness. do that part yeah. of your raspy. Yeah, no, I won't. But I think in this day and age, one really cool thing, especially during uh, COVID and the quarantine, is you see a lot more people performing on YouTube, you know, because they can't perform live, which is great, and a lot of people doing covers of their favorite artists, but one thing is I don't think these people realize the value of learning to perform live in front of a live audience, you know, night after night, building the stamina, building the rapport with the audience. And it seems like that's a big advantage you have with all these years of performing live. Thank you. Yeah, it feels like, I don't know, brushing my teeth. I just was so used to, as a kid, traveling all around, sometimes two shows in one day. Um, so it's just natural for me, and it's fun. But it definitely, if you haven't done it before, it's, it's different, and it's a lot. But I love every second of it. What's the key to connecting with a live audience? Um, I think talking to them like they're your friends. When you talk to them like, I don't know, addressing a whole arena or a large crowd, they're going to feel that. But if you talk to them like there's 10 people in the room, they feel that intimacy no matter how many people are there. Um, and also I always love to talk about um, the meaning behind songs and why I wrote it. I don't just get up there and sing and then leave. I think that connection is important and it makes them feel close to the artist. And, like that's why I gravitate toward the artists I do. I feel, you feel like you know them basically when you hear them because songwriting is sharing your emotions. So just being um, honest and vulnerable and saying what's on your mind and then people who are listening feel drawn in by that. So what's it like to open for Ariana Grande? You know that everyone in the audience is there to hear her. They kind of tolerate the opening act and go, who's this? What's going through your mind? And at what point do you feel, oh, oh my, I'm actually winning them over. They're not just killing time until Ariana comes out. They're actually enjoying me. And how do you get to that, that point? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I don't know. I think also because we've been opening acts since we were pretty young, I just, you know, have that experience as, I mean, also being a headliner, but also um, what being an opening act is all about. And I just, I don't know if this is why I don't get nervous, but I never really think about what each individual is thinking because, I mean, I'm never going to talk to most of them. I mean, some of them at meet and greets after and everything, but usually those are the people who enjoyed the show. And I mean, I know some people are going to go get a drink or something and do whatever, but no one's suffering hearing us and a lot of people really enjoy it. So um, it usually they get really excited. We've never had like a dead crowd where we're like, what do we do? Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone has been so amazing, and obviously the opening slots usually are for music that's similar, so people like the type of music, and um, we've always grown a ton of fans just from doing shows, and the audiences are so welcoming and so kind, um, and yeah, we haven't really had an issue with that, um, and they, as far as the crew and everything, even when you're an opening act, they treat you so well, and um, feed you dinner and do sound check, and um, they really make sure you feel welcome and a part of everything. Well, all this must have raised the bar high for you, so continue on with your career. You must have high expectations of the size of the, the concerts and tours, and do you think it's just to develop this mindset of, you know, I want to aim for the top? 
Um, well, I think as a person in anything I do, I always aim for the top. Like, I push myself <laughs> as far as I can go, and I'm passionate about everything in life that I do. Um, but I don't know. I don't really think of it that way. I think as a solo artist, I've only been launched as a solo artist for a year, literally a year hit, I think, a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, I know I'm new as a solo artist, and it's super exciting, and um, I love venues of all sizes. I would love to be an opener um, for a similar artist just to get the exposure and um, experience that for the first time completely on my own. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm, like, spoiled about it or anything. But if I'm in a situation where I do have to perform in front of tens of thousands of people, it's super comfortable for me, and it's, um, like, no big deal just because I'm used to it. So I think that, you know, makes me more comfortable in all stage settings, and I just feel – kind of the same comfort right now is when I'm in my room is when I'm on stage and it feels really natural. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to talk more about uh, I Don't Like You and some of your other music, but I just have to ask one last, both uh, Ariana and the other people you've toured with. The one thing I'm always surprised when I hear people open for a big act, but they never meet that act for whatever reason because of scheduling or people on and off so quickly. But please tell me you got to actually meet some of these people and hopefully, you know, have some meaningful talks and, and, and learn something from these people. I mean, did you get to meet Ariana or any of these other people? Yeah, of course. They are. I mean, we have been so lucky to tour with people who are really kind and welcoming. I have heard of other people experiencing what you're talking about, but I mean, literally right when we walked in the door for the first night, um, of our show with Ariana, she came right over, introduced herself, and, you know, we giggled and talk, talked um, about different things, and um, Frankie, her brother, and her mom, and everything after the show um, would say, you know, that we did a great job, and we'd all kind of eat dinner in one same big open room. Um, the catering was amazing. It was crazy, um, but yeah, and then when we were younger, um, same thing, like every artist has been you know, so, and I think also we were eight years old and nine years old. It's hard to ignore that. Um, what always stood out to me is the first opening act show we did was for Drake Bell um, from Drake and Josh. And we did our first show in Pittsburgh opening for him. And he spent the entire weekend with us, like completely. He knew my brother was the biggest fan and was so, so kind and would spend time with him, teaching him songs on the guitar and, um, you know, would play hide and seek with us. It was just so above and beyond and kind. And, yeah, I'll never really forget that. I think that's what's beautiful about it, too. You think of these people as, I don't know, being almost like beyond human. You just see them on a screen all the time and, you know, everyone knows who they are and they're popular. But when you meet them, they're just such kind, normal people, and it's really nice to see because you're just happy that people that nice get to do what they do, and also, I don't know, you realize, like, wow, this is just a person like me, and here's Ariana, and that's her mom bringing her water, like, like my mom is, and um, there's her brother, who's also loud and fun, just like my brother, so, um, and also everyone's shorter in real life, she's also, like, five feet tall, so I think, you know, everyone just feels so human, and it's it's nice. It doesn't feel intimidating or anything, and they've always been so eager to jump in as, like, a mentor and make everyone feel welcome. Well, that is encouraging to hear. I like that. Yeah. It's very, very nice when you hear good stories about the people you admire. Well, you know, you mentioned when you went to um, college and your brother going to Berkeley School of Music – 
So he, he, he chose more music specific, but you chose um, to study sociology, which I found very intriguing. And do you think in, in the end, as you, as the songwriter, you, that maybe that was even an even better thing to study than just flat out music to have something to infuse, you know, your, your understanding of human behavior. I mean, you know, I'm being a little bit silly, but at the same time, you know, it seems like you went to college for, you know, experiences outside of music. Have you found that influencing your music in a really interesting way? Yeah, I absolutely love sociology and just studying everything about social interaction and human behavior and um, immediately gravitated toward it. And that definitely shaped my songwriting. And I think going to college, obviously I'm (laughs) nerdy and academic and wanted to um, learn new things in uh, sectors of, you know, academia that I just hadn't explored before. And sociology, I, you know, they don't really teach that in high school. And it was immediately something that pulled me right in. And um, as, yeah, I don't know, a college student just trying to experience everything and um, shaping that into songs, I feel like all those courses gave me such a unique understanding of that. And when I write songs, or even when I live my life and try to analyze why people do the things they do, I have this um, different perspective, which helps me make sense about it and um, write about it. And um, yeah, I just loved everything about it. Well, when you were in college, how did people react when they found out you would have this career as a, you know, globe-trotting child, you know, performer? Um, I mean, I, I try not to really mention it because I feel like it's weird and a lot of times people don't know how to address it. Obviously, like in grade school when you're little, people get, like, I don't know, annoyed by it and aren't too nice and that just kind of sticks with you. So going to college, I was like, okay, I just want people to know me for me and not have that be a thing. But obviously, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's weird when Facebook or social media also has things about your past on there and people see that and find out. And um, it's so funny. One of my roommates, she was my roommate for like an entire year. And then toward the end, she was like, wait a second. (laughs) She found this whole thing on my Facebook. And she was like, I had no idea. And I think, you know, I, I like when people who find out about it are open about it and talk and ask me questions and um, have all been so supportive. And some people I feel like kind of know about it and it makes them a little standoffish. It just depends on the person. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want people to like, find out about it and think I'm weird or I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just I'm just a person and I did this cool thing and they all did cool things with their lives and um, – I don't know. Yeah, I try not to really bring it up unless someone asks me about it. Also, Brown seems to have such a Ivy League reputation. Seems like it would take a lot to uh, to uh, impress someone there. <laughs> well, I think um, it's just every single person there is so brilliant in something that they're doing, and it's all different types of things. So um, you're used to people who, you know, have their unique passions and have gone above and beyond down that path since they were little. Um, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, it's You're just surrounded by crazy. high achievers. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, music yeah. is your thing, but you you could be going to school with, you know, the, the next tech genius, the next world chess <laughs> yeah. champion, or who knows. It's, 
It's so funny. Literally, one of my friends today was featured in Forbes magazine, and he was in my class. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, yeah. So everyone there is so amazing that it. I mean, it didn't feel like anything that was strange. Well, now that you made it through it, are you just so happy that you gave yourself this college experience? Yeah, I'm really happy about it. Um, I just as a person, I never really <laughs> had time to just hang out or um, meet new people and friends and socialize. So uh, I grew a lot in four years and learned a lot and talked and met so many new people. And it was just exciting. It's everyone from all over the world. Um, and it's like one big sleepover. Everyone's living there in the dorms. And I went from pretty much no interaction to people with people my age to them being around all the time. And at first I was terrified about it, but um, I definitely got the hang of it and had a blast. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting to hear someone coming of age right now when you are, um, I guess, Gen Y, would you consider yourself part of? Yeah, like millennial, Gen Z cusp, like a zillennial. <laughs> yeah. On the cusp. Which is interesting, and it's interesting to see how, you know, that influences your songwriting or just, you know, your perspective on things, because there's, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say that the older generation, you know, doesn't understand, but I think that's typical of any generation, but, you know, for a lot of people, uh, you know, they've never done TikTok, you know, they've never gone to even Instagram. <laughs> Sounds like you, you've really mastered those, but you, you not only participate in them really well, but you also um, criticize them a little bit or just have, you know, a little bit of commentary <laughs> on them. Like your, your song, yeah. Show Me You, was sort of your commentary on that. Not that, you know, you just hate it and think it's horrible, but don't you think we need to have some criticism? I think from people your age, you know, it's one thing for people my age who don't know enough about it to really talk about it. I think it's more meaningful coming from someone who's a little closer to it like you. Thanks. Yeah, I think um, social media, there's so many amazing things about it, but at the same time, there's a lot of danger to it and a lot of negative things. And what inspired that is um, basically this friend who was my friend growing up, and she just got really sucked into it and started uh, editing her photos and putting herself on magazine covers she was never on and kind of made this whole persona and convinced herself that it was real almost. Like she started to believe the things that she was putting online that were not reality. And I just, I mean, not only was it sad to lose such an amazing person who felt she needed to compete with everything on there, but realizing that these people who are influencers who are editing their photos and, you know, posting themselves doing all these different things. I just remember when I was younger, there wasn't Instagram when I was like in middle school, but there were obviously like fashion magazines and that's, you know, what kids struggle with when they're that age back when I was younger. And I think, the solution is always just stop reading fashion magazines if they make you feel bad or if they set unrealistic standards. But with Instagram, it's kind of like it's essential in your life. Basically, all your friends are on it, um, your classmates are on it, and you feel like you need to be on there. And you're also getting a lot of content of people who are editing images and who are saying things that just aren't reality. And I think when you're young, because I know it says you have to be 13, but I'm sure younger kids are on it, of course. Um, it's just really dangerous because they don't know how to look at things critically. And when you're older, you kind of 
get it, you know about it, but you still don't quite know what the extent of it is. And I think people get really insecure and compare themselves. And I just don't want, I just think about the younger kids and how it impacts them. And it worries me a lot. And I think there does need to be some criticism of. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned early on when you were performing with your brother, as soon as you crossed over into that, you know, young Disney kid kind of arena, you know, where, where kids start out acting and singing at a young age. Uh, some are on the Disney Channel itself, but, you know, that whole, there's a whole world of kid entertainment, which is a good training ground, but it also seems like the kids who start out young there, maybe if they have really good parents that kind of steer them in the right way where, they, you know, their whole sense of worth isn't totally wrapped up in, you know, getting that audition or making this or that, you know, just letting them be kids, you know, why do you think you made it through that, you know, healthy with a good outlook? Or sometimes some of these kids make it through feeling pretty defeated, like, you know, they failed. Yeah, um, it's definitely something that I've seen be an issue in the industry for us. I think part of it is, and we totally got pushback on this growing up, but my parents were very strict about us always being in school full-time, in person, and not sacrificing that. Well, you know, many people, starting when we were really little, were like, you should homeschool them. This is, you know, they need to be out in L.A. They need to be doing this full-time. Um, but our parents, you know, were really protective. They're not music people at all. They just grew up in this neighborhood. They sell toys for a living, um, and they're really old school, and they just wanted to make sure that we had that sense of normal and they didn't want us to only be around each other all day and do work all day. And I think that was nice. I mean, obviously at the time as a kid, you're kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe I do want to be doing this thing that I love full time. But as I'm older, I see how, you know, it's important to have a variety of things and be around other people and not just be so into your work when you're a really little kid. And I also think we always, since we were young, it was never like, our eyes were on a future where we were immediately on some Disney show or some trendy thing. We were always looking for like a career of longevity and we knew we were young and we wanted to start a path to um, grow to a career that we'd still be doing when we're older um, and just grew up. I mean, we still go to Paul McCartney concerts and everything like that. So that's the kind of artist we grew up watching and we definitely wanted to go down that path of making a career that can last a lifetime. So it never was really about like getting the quick audition or getting the thing um, the year right in front of us. Um, we were always thinking long-term. And at the age of eight, what motivated you to play the drums? <laughs> I just How many eight-year-olds take up the drums? Know. <laughs> it's so funny so my my brother is like a music prodigy and he begged to take the guitar and he was six and it was really hard to find a teacher that would take anyone who's six um and then my parents were like you know marissa do you want to take any instruments and i picked the violin because at my school they were just giving free violin lessons and it lasted about I don't know, a couple weeks, and I was like, I hate this. I'm a super fast-paced person, um, and it was very, very, very slow. And I didn't think in a million years I would get to play the drums because I remembered watching as a little kid an episode of The Brady Bunch where um, 
one of them takes up the drums and it's so loud and the parents are like, yeah, no, you have to quit. Like, this is so disruptive. So I thought my parents would be like, drums, like you're going to be banging drums around the house all the time. Um, so I asked my mom because <laughs> she's the parent that says yes, more likely than my dad. And I just remember closing my eyes and like flopping on the, my bed and just wincing and being like, uh, I want to play the drums. And she was so unbelievably supportive. Um, and then I started taking lessons through Michael's, my brother's guitar teacher. Um, he's in a band, and the drummer from his band would come and teach me drums while Michael would take guitar, and I immediately fell in love with it. I just always had so much energy. I loved to hit things and was doing taekwondo, too, and all of that. And um, I immediately clicked with it and knew right from the start, like, oh, this is exactly what I'm dying to do. And it also, I think when you start young, it's really easy, The like using both your hands and both your feet and singing at the same time just becomes something that's habitual in your body. It's just like muscle memory, so it feels really effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so much fun. Wow. Except when you have to cart around the drum set. What? It's fun oh, to yeah. play, but not fun to haul, haul around the drum set. Yeah, no, it was definitely brutal because it's bigger than me. So if I had to set it up, it was usually an ordeal. I'm just picturing this eight-year-old trying to pick up all the pieces of the drum set and set it up. But, hey, that that probably gave you a good workout. <laughs> it's funny. Meanwhile, I had, like, two pigtails in my hair and little bows. And <laughs> I just remember, like, us going to shows and doing that, like, setting up the equipment. And whoever hired us for the event having an absolute heart attack because they're like, oh, my God, we hired a seven- and eight-year-old, and this is what's going to happen. And then once we started playing, they'd be so relieved. But when they saw little tiny me lifting drums, they were like, oh, God, hope this is going to be a good move. Um, But, yeah, it would always go well, and it would be fun to surprise them. Well, were you – were you aware of like really good drummers at the time? Like, did you have like a favorite drummer? Um, I love Carter Beaufort from Dave Matthews band. I don't really listen to them a ton, but just was obsessed with watching videos of him. Um, I just love like the little high hat tricks he does. Um, and the kick patterns. I think he's brilliant. And also Sheila E of course, um, is someone I looked up to mm-hmm. since I was young because there aren't many girl drummers out there and she's just such a badass and mm-hmm. amazing. And, that's been amazing to look up to as a kid because there it was mostly watching videos of guys and there wasn't much representation. Mm-hmm. So um, it always made me feel good to see her just like destroying a drum kit and um, being completely in her element. Do you remember the name of the drummer from the Go-Go's? Dina Shock? I think that's it. Yeah. I think yeah. they were nominated for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Oh, wow. That's Wouldn't amazing. That be great? I wrote a song with her when I was younger um, over email, though. It wasn't in person, but we wrote a song. I think I was around 12 years old, and it was about, like, drumming and how, like, everything in life kind of has a rhythm to it. Um, and we just worked over email, but she was so sweet. That's amazing. Like, that's incredible. I'm so happy for her. Wow. How did that all come about? Did you just find her on a website and email her? Um, I don't know how that happened. I think we were working in a studio recording our songs with an engineer, and I don't know. It was always like someone knew someone and would call up their friend, and um, she was just super supportive because I was also a young girl drummer, and we did, you know, we were touring and doing shows, and she just was so kind and willing. You to were be like on her radar, kind of. Great. 
Well, I guess so like, she kind of knew of you. reached out on our behalf. Once, like, she knew about us, she was like, oh, okay, this is a thing. And um, it was just exciting. Also, I was endorsed by Vic Firth when I was younger, so there's a lot of, like, drummer events and sometimes you know online there's like girl drummer events but it's a really niche crowd and I think um, girl drummers especially try to all support each other that's great I think you need to include that tidbit in your bio oh thanks yeah I should add that I just kind of forget about it because I was so little at the time but um, yeah do you remember the name of the song you guys wrote together kind of like we got the beat I guess kind of. It was about, like, all the noises throughout the day and how they sound like rhythms when you're a drummer and how um, the whole world feels kind of like that. Um, But, yeah, it was really fun. I was super young, like a preteen, but um, it's a fun song. It's still stuck in our heads sometimes over here. Um, Yeah. Do you remember how any of the lyrics went? (laughs) Let me think. Yeah, it was, like, um, going through, like, I'm just remembering certain lines about, like, the sound of a locker slamming or the sound of, like, your dinner sizzling in a pan and the sound of, like, all those different things and how they make up this sound. And when you're a drummer, you hear that in terms of rhythms and it's a beat to you. It's not just the noise of a book, you know, landing in your locker and then the door slamming. It's, like, a rhythm. And, um, yeah, it was just a fun song. It's probably online somewhere from when we were – little um but yeah nice well do you think you'll ever record this i don't know we have so many songs from when we were younger and i definitely do think about it sometimes like how it would be fun to re-record some of them um i just you know right now since i launched as a solo artist a, a year ago from around today um have been focusing on putting out solo music but i think um down the road it would be really fun to revisit some of those songs from when we were younger. Um, And it would be cool if my brother would um, perform on some of them because that's always fun. Nice. Well, some of the music you have recorded, um, let's see, you did Something's Off, uh, Headspace, Pride, Flattery. Were you, like, going for all all the seven deadly sins? (laughs) No, I don't know. I just, that's just how it fell, I guess. Nice. Well, Flattery, I like the the title of that. Um, it sounds like something that would have been like an 80s pop song. Are you are you a fan of 80s pop? I know you like Sheila E., but I know for well, my age, I mean, I listened to it the first time of around, but for, you know, someone in their early 20s now, are you part of the 80s nostalgia? Do you like listening to, oh, I don't know, early Madonna and Duran Duran and Prince and all the great stuff from the 80s? Um, yeah, like to some extent, um, but just like a regular person, I'm not like, like my brother, for example, is like super, super into pop and studies every pop artist ever and the production and is very, very invested in that. I think I just listen to them like a normal person who was born in the 90s and hears those songs and um, enjoys them when they're on. But um, yeah, like I'm not an expert in 80s pop or anything. That would be my brother. Mm-hmm. Well, who are you inspired by? You know, we talked about, you know, Lily Allen, but, of you know, more contemporary people or people of, you know, the past 10 to 15 years that, you know, really formed you. Um, you know, who would you say your top favorites are? 
Um, well, I grew up listening to the Beatles since, I mean, my brother and I were harmonizing to the Beatles when we were in diapers. Like, it was just, because at the time, it's, you know, the only music you have around the house then in, like, the mid-late 90s was what your parents had as CDs, and our dad... That's all they had was the Beatles? Oh, I mean, no, the Beatles are I mean, great, Beatles. but that's all they had? <laughs> <laughs> no, not all they had, but that was his biggest favorite thing, and he had all the albums. Um, and then my mom was more into, like, wow. Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and that sort of thing. Um, so she was more nice. into, like, R&B stuff, and my dad was more into um, just that sort of um, classic rock stuff. So we grew up listening to also, like, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, and um, that Whole, like that's what we used to play when we were younger. We would cover all those songs um, and harmonize, and it was a lot of fun. And I think um, musically, the Beatles are obviously brilliant, and just hearing classic music. And I think my ear is trained to really like the sound of live instruments. I'm not super a fan of like when drums are all made on the computer and that's in a song. I like um, the sound of you know organic live. I love when horns are in songs. That's like my absolute favorite. Um, yeah, and I'm not super into, like, four on the floor and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's been, you know, amazing. I think growing up, that's more what we listened to. And then as we got older, my brother and I developed very different tastes. He's more, like, into hyper-pop and is brilliant with producing, like, that techno sort of stuff. And I very much wanted to stay with, like, the old soul kind of retro vibe. Mm-hmm. Well... I know when Amy Winehouse and the Lily Allens, uh, what do they call that? You know, the Neo Soul, and there's just so many kind of variations of R&B, which, you know, is so influential now in pop music, and but, you know, lots of different flavors of it. What's the, the part of R&B you like that informs you? Is it like, do you think you have a little jazz-influenced style? Because it sounds like you're, you're between your dad and your mom, your mom's style kind of won out, at least, you know, with your, your solo songs you've been doing. Would you say that maybe that was kind of, you know, under the surface, but that's the one that kind of infuses your personal style now? I think, yeah, just based on what I've listened to and, like, sung along to growing up, um, definitely was influenced by like jazz and neo soul and that sort of thing. And I think just the vocal runs are different. The rhythm is different. Um, it's less predictable and there's just, you know, more twists and turns to it. And I find that really fun. And I, I don't know, it's hard to nuance like what exactly is like the part of R and D that I click with so much, but um, it just feels super raw and connected to me. And I enjoy that. It's, you know, keeps you on your toes and makes you really want to move and also want to see what happens next. Um, and it's not as straightforward. Because the whole thing about, you know, your singing style so far, and again, you know, the comparisons to Amy Winehouse, but there seems to be just a, you know, I, I would go so far as to say sort of an intelligence to it, meaning, you know, it's not just um, bubblegum pop, it sounds like, you know, you're really trying to communicate, and it just seems like, um, I don't know, kind of like we don't hear enough of those singers. You know, I, I think so many of the people who get the attention are the dance pop, you know, which is fun. Yeah. But we don't, you know, we haven't had another Amy Winehouse since we last 
since we lost Amy. You know, she was so special when she came out because she had a message and such a unique style. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. I think it's also just about not following trends and just doing what feels right to you. And I just remember, I've read and watched so many things about her, how she, you know, was really not into pop music at all and was very true to what she liked, which was very throwbacky and very much resisting any modern sounds going in her music. And I think, you know, it takes something like that to make a sound that's different. It's really easy um, to go down the pop path because that's, you know, everyone's sort of infusing pop in everything that they do and um, it's fun and you can dance to it and there's like a whole world of that. But I don't know, I'd rather be a little riskier and do a genre that hasn't been celebrated as much recently and just kind of stay true to what I'm doing and um, hope it resonates with people. We're going to wrap up in a little bit, but before we do, a couple things. Uh, first, I really want to make sure people know where to find you online and especially how they can listen to, buy, and just experience the I Don't Like You single. <laughs> sure. Um, so my name is Dynamite. It's spelled a little differently. So um, my Instagram is, and I mean my TikTok, everything, is call me Dynamite spelled D-Y-N-A-M-Y-T-E, so the I is also a Y. Um, and, yeah, it's under Dynamite on Spotify. I'm also on social media. Um, love to interact with everyone on there. and It's like a community, and it's really fun. Um, and the link in my bio right now on my Instagram is the new song that just dropped, um, which is just kind of cheeky and fun, and, um, yeah. Cool. Now, it's a cool title, but at the same time, I hesitate saying it. Because I don't want someone to think that I don't like them. <laughs> so when I say funny. I don't like I you, don't take that. it personally. <laughs> <laughs> People said that in my comments because I had them guess the title. I kind of do that when I drop songs. Like, I'll give them some initials and say, like, whoever guesses it gets a shout-out. And all of them were like, I feel like it's I don't like you, but I don't want you to think I'm writing, like, a mean comment saying I don't like you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never thought that through. It's funny. I notice it's been abbreviated IDLU in some of the stuff I've read. Cool, yeah. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. That's a little less offensive, although then it's confusing because I don't know what the heck it means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, last question, I think. I'm notorious, though. Whenever I say last questions, it usually means I have 20 more, but I'll try to keep it down <laughs> no, to one okay. or two, but... What, I, what I'm most uh, curious is, what do you most miss about Boston right now? Oh, wow. I mean, I think, oh, it's so complicated. So my whole family is out there, and my dad is the oldest of seven siblings, so have a ton of aunts and uncles all, like, within the few towns around us, and obviously they have kids who are our age, and um, it's, my mom's mom is also – She's turning 99 in June. Um, God bless her. Not oh, wow. It's scary even thinking about it. Yeah. So, um, but she's, you know, amazing and high energy and as cheerful as ever. So um, just knowing that that family is in Boston, it's obviously hard to be away from that. But FaceTime is a lifesaver. I can't imagine doing it like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago when that stuff wasn't as prominent. But it seems much easier nowadays. But sometimes you just want to hug your family members and, 
um, yeah, I don't know, but um, it's also been exciting, and I'm so glad my brother also is, you know, going to be in L.A., and it makes it feel more homey in itself because he's my best friend. So what's the go-to place when your whole family goes out to dinner? Where's your favorite place you all go? <laughs> oh, that's a really fun question. Um, we have a couple of places. One of our absolute favorites is called Bernard's, and it's near Boston, kind of like Newton area, and it's the best Chinese food. Like, we absolutely love it. And they used to be this little hole in the wall in, like, the bottom side of a mall in a parking lot, and they were just so good that they expanded to this giant new restaurant. Um, and it's so delicious. The food is so good. And we used to take my grandma there, I mean, our whole life. Now it's too hard for her to, like, leave the nursing home when she's 99. But, um, yeah, it's just something that's so cozy and special, and we've been going to since – I was really young. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to Boston, you know, with your next tour, where would be the ultimate place that you could perform there? Oh, wow. What a fun question. I mean, obviously if I'm thinking big, like the garden would be amazing, but I know that's shooting pretty high. Um, Also, I know this is not Boston, Boston, but, as far as, like, ultimate career goals, it was really cool um, to see some concerts at Gillette Stadium, which is gigantic and, like, 60,000 people. Um, so someday down the road, that would be incredible. Um, but I think, yeah, my first goal would be, like, performing somewhere, like, if I'm aiming big at, like, TV Garden or something like that. But even in the meantime, like, House of Blues would be awesome. Um, we performed at the Hard Rock Cafe a ton growing up and the House of Blues. Um, so it would be fun to come back and do that stuff as a solo artist, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, your favorite baseball team? <laughs> the Red Sox. <laughs> and knowing you're from Boston, I was so hoping you would have a Boston accent, but you don't. Why is that? It's so funny. My whole extended family has a thick, thick Boston accent. And I don't know what – my dad grew up with one, and my mom just didn't have one. And so he kind of trained out of it because he's around my mom all the time. Um, but, yeah, like my grandparents, my aunts and uncles have a really thick Boston accent, so it is kind of funny. Um, and I didn't even really notice that until um, my brother and I brought our friends to a family event, and they were like, why does everyone have an accent except for you guys? So, yeah, I don't know. Now, can you talk Boston? <laughs> no, I can't. It's so hard, and I don't feel like anyone can imitate it well enough. It's just so funny. I and People try. It's just hard to get the, like, I don't know, um, like, griminess of it, I guess, like how car keys are, like, khakis. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. It's so different. Well, from being from the West Coast, it's it's always a treat to hear Boston. To me, it's just, it's fun and exotic. All right, last, truly last question, coming full circle. <laughs> As you mentioned, opening for Ariana and all these great other artists. So now as you embark as Dynamite, you've got, you know, I Don't Like You, and I'm hoping more new singles coming out over the next year. Who would you love to open for, and especially where you think their audience would really be into your music, you know, a fan base you think you could share? Oh, wow, what a cool question. Um I don't know, a lot of different routes I can think of. I mean, ultimately what would be so cool, but obviously, like, I feel like I'm too small of an artist now to do this, but it would be so cool to one day open for Bruno Mars because he has that whole retro thing going, um, and I love that a lot. 
Um, also, in the meantime, mm-hmm. like, I think Julia Michaels is amazing. Um, I love the artist Her, which is like H period, E period, R period, um, Georgia Smith. And obviously Lily Allen's one of my favorites, and she still tours sometimes. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that comes to mind. Jesse Reyes, I'm a huge fan of her. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why, but I, I just see you somehow, if I have the crystal ball, veering even a, a little more into that jazzy realm as you progress. And I, I could just picture you being at the Newport Jazz Festival. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I don't know why. Or festivals or maybe even Coachella. Is there aren't festivals? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, so maybe when all this COVID stuff starts to um, lift even more and more venues open up, uh, it would just be great that, you know, that you would have the opportunity to play all these great venues, you know, doing what you do best, you know, playing in front of a live audience. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't done a solo show at all yet because I launched as a solo artist in the whole COVID pandemic situation, so um, I'm really looking forward to it. And are you going to include drums in your set? Yeah, of course, always. Are you going to do like one of those wild 15-minute Sheila E. drum solos? (laughs) I don't know about 15 minutes, but I definitely want to have a moment where I just, you know, go off on the drums um, rather than, you know, just play them for a little bit in a song. I want to have like a moment. (laughs) Oh, I just thought of one (laughs) other. So the group Hole, you know, with Courtney Love and Hole, didn't they have – a female drummer? Oh, yeah, I think so. I get so excited when they're female drummers. It's so funny because I don't think of it strange being a female drummer. Like, I don't I notice it, but when I see another female drummer immediately, I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> so I think I don't really notice it until, until I see other people doing it. And as a young kid, it was so amazing to look up to. Um, also, because I do Taekwondo, I'm a uh, second-degree black belt in Taekwondo, and it was always all boys and me. So I think I've just always been in an, an environment where it's all boys and me, and it just kind of feels normal, so I don't notice it as much. Um, but it's always cool to see a girl doing the same stuff. Um, it's really amazing, and it's cool to see, like, little cousins looking up to me doing that. My little cousin actually took up the drums when she was little because I played the drums, and she just thought it was so cool. Um, so that's amazing that they can see themselves doing that kind of stuff. Okay, when we get off this call, your homework is to go online and look up the drummer for whole. <laughs> well, I so appreciate you taking the time not just to talk, but just to share these great stories. Love your energy, and anyone who hears this, I just highly recommend drop everything. Find Dynamite online. Check out the new song. I don't like you, but know that she does like you. She, she doesn't hate you. And and look up your back catalog, um, you know, on, on the other site. You're on Spotify or SoundCloud, those sites. Oh, you know, look yeah. up your Spotify, back catalog. SoundCloud, Apple Music, yeah. Okay, so, you know, go there, binge on the new stuff, the old stuff. <laughs> and I'm just really looking forward to you know, what you're going to put out this next year, and hopefully you'll hit the road and start performing live again. 
Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Um, a real honor to be on your show, and I had a great time chatting with you.